Welcome to Exploring Possibility. I'm your host, Christopher Giel, and with this show, my mission is to empower you. I want to inspire those who have forgotten their true worth, their highest potential, and their ultimate capability. I'll be exploring topics that are aimed towards personal growth to help you gain insight and approach life with new perspectives. I want you to increase your impact and help you live a more fulfilling life because limited thinking equals limited being. Let the show begin. Hi there and welcome to Exploring Possibility. This is episode number 11. Welcome to everyone listening to the show today. If you are a new listener, this is a special welcome to you guys. Uh, thank you for taking out the time. And uh, if you haven't subscribed to the show yet, now is that opportunity to go and subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And then also, we've got a Facebook community that I'm starting to build. It's not open yet, but we are starting to filter people in so we can dive into the topics after our interviews with our guests. So we can dive into the topics and understand them better and start to see how we can integrate those learning lessons into our daily life. So yeah, be sure to check out the Facebook community, which you can get via Facebook. Just go search Exploring Possibility or via my website, which is exploringpossibility.co.za and just go onto the community in the menu options and you'll be directed to join the community. Other than that, let's jump into today's episode. Today I've got a man by the name called Jeremy Rodruck and he is a parenting coach. He's a best-selling author, he's a kung fu master, and also he's a Pan-American champion. Having said that, he's also certified in hypnotherapy and NLP. You'll see we chat about NLP during the interview if you are interested in knowing what that is and how to use it in your life. And also, part of his story is being that he was abused as a child you know, at the age of five and six, and after that, he also struggled with anger for over 20 years and just having that background of being, you know, the speaker, teacher, author, and just the the catalyst on a mission to empower the world, especially children. I had to go and speak to Jeremy and see what he had to say, you know, because he helps people who feel they can't speak up for themselves and especially in the space of children. He works with families also to empower children to just speak up and own their voices in life. We touched on multiple things, including how to spot fear and how to deal with it and how to deal with anger from his experience. He had over 20 years of anger. So we, do- we dove into that and see how he dealt with his anger and how he was able to manage that going forward in his life. We also just touched on sport and how it, contrib- how it contributes to personal development. And like I said, we touched on NLP and using that to our advantage. So yeah, having said that, that's basically it for the intro. So I want you to dive in, open your ears, be ready for some wisdom and let me know what you think. Let's go. Hi there, Jeremy, and welcome to Exploring Possibility. I'm super stoked to have you on the show today. Yeah, I am super excited to be here. I love the theme and I love the um, just the, the concept, right? We all need moral support and we all need, well, the phrase we like to use with our students is a lighted candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. And sometimes our flames go out and then we get reminded by, you know, random interaction with someone or we hear something meaningful and go, dude, and it just lights us back up again. And so we need that, you know? Oh, brilliant. So as with all my other guests, uh, I want to get to know you a little bit more because um, obviously there's, there's some content about you, but I would love to dive, dive in a little bit deeper and just find out who is Jeremy. So like, what do you do currently and 
perhaps just take us like a little bit back to where it started as well. So you do, we can okay. just get a jump into who you are. Absolutely. Well, uh, human being, hi. Um, <laughs> and uh, currently, anyway, I uh, don't know what came before or after, but I'm here now. <laughs> Let's just run with it. Uh, Kung Fu Master, I've been doing that over 24 years. Uh, I have a school as well as I work with families and kids. I'm actually getting ready to launch a coaching program to deliver content and do things like that all digitally so parents can upgrade their communication, their understanding with their kids, being able to read where their kids are at and, and adapt to that. Because as I grew up, um, I shifted gears from what I call a child brain into a teen brain very young, about six years old. And because I said so, quit working. And so a lot of the adults around me were really out of their depth, trying to motivate me, reach me, encourage me. Yeah, I don't trust you. I have my back against the wall. I'm in survival mode and, and everyone's being tested. Everyone's being evaluated. Everyone's failing the tests. But I'm, I'm judging myself and failing my own tests. So how can anybody else do any better, right? And so um, that's really, for me, what got me into everything. Go back to the very beginning. Um, I was abused at five and six in two different continents, um, in Saudi Arabia by a, an adult, and then here in the U.S. by a couple of kids up the street. And the thing that does for small people, young people, they don't know how to disassociate. They don't know how to separate who I am from what I'm doing. And so when parents are upset with them, it's not they're upset with my behavior, they're upset with me. And they take ownership of that identity. And so at five and six, you know, I got punished and I thought I deserved it because I went out where I wasn't supposed to. I mean, the security guard did what he did, but I was out playing where, you know, I'm not supposed to be back out there. I crossed the fences. So obviously I deserve to be punished. And then um, I had to hide that. I had to like not tell anybody because I didn't want to get in more trouble because I was out where I wasn't supposed to. So, so something bad happened and I didn't blame the guard. I blamed myself. But at six, I had some, you know, some more things happen with some kids up the street. And that kind of shifted everything. I remember having like an out-of-body experience a little bit. And, and everything got buried literally for 20 years. All I knew was I'm in survival mode. I can't trust anybody. What people say and what they mean are separate things. They say one thing, but they mean another, and I don't know why. And so that left me in a very difficult place at six years old. I don't know who I can trust. And I had amazing parents. I still do. Um, they gave me unconditional love and they gave me support, but I couldn't trust them because it was their job to protect me. And I went and did stuff that they didn't know about. So I'm mad at them for not protecting me, but how could they when I did stuff when they weren't around? Be that as it may, right? The, the twists and turns of our unconscious mind and the justifications. So at nine, I quit smoking. I decided against holy orders and becoming a monk because I wanted to be a dad. By 12, I was doing cross-cultural religious studies while getting kicked out of gifted reading and gifted math. Junior year, I got mono, and no one came to visit me because I was actually a pretty big jerk, but didn't see it. And so my brother had to shame my friends to come see me. And then my senior year, I almost didn't graduate high school because I needed one credit to graduate, which was English, but I hated writing to deadline, and I hated writing about things I didn't like writing about. I took newspaper. So at one point, my parents offered to buy me a car. Um, if I made honor roll, I had five A's and one F, and the F was newspaper because I hate newspaper. So I had a 3.2 average and no car. So that was kind of when I got mono and no one came to visit me was sort of the beginning of let's start unraveling what's going on because like why, what is happening? And for me, the thing that shifted everything, I had started Kung Fu when I was 20, and very early in my training, my instructor heard me say something to myself about myself out loud that was derogatory and self-destructive. And he stopped what he was doing. 
And he looked up and he looked me in the eye and he paused. Don't talk to yourself like that. And then he paused. And then he went back to what he was doing. And the way he said it, it resonated with me in a way that I know my parents had said similar stuff, but it didn't click. And the way he said it, his timing, his Kung Fu, mm. it hit me. And, and I worked in a sandpaper factory. I had dropped out of college by that point. And so it gave me, the factory gave me a lot of time to think. I also picked up a bunch of scars and more scars and more scars and a back injury. And I was thinking about self-harm. And if I severed a body part, how much money do I make? And how long can I live on that? That's a sign you need to leave the job, whatever the job is. Mm. And, and that's when I really began to start unraveling uh, the pain and what was going on. It took about, once the memories came back, it took about 10 more years. But I've always had this thing with the kids that struggle, the kids that have their backup, the kids that have their defenses. I kind of resonated with that. And I could always get their attention or get them to play my reindeer games because I just did things a little bit different than the adults. I'm like, you don't have to listen to me, but here's something to consider. And does it make your life harder or make your life easier? You're, you're free to choose. It's your consequences, not mine. And so that's what got me into working with families and kids and, and teaching and, and all the things I'm doing now. That is such a fascinating story. And I really feel for you. Like I can't imagine what it must feel like to go through that sort of pain and then masking it um, for years going on and just experiencing that pain that sort of, it's, it, it's sort of like a hum that's just always there that you can't explain and that it, it, it dictates so much of your life without even you having control yep. of it at that moment. Yeah, I think of it like a hamster wheel. It's like a hamster wheel always spinning back here and there's always that little creaky noise because you're always like, like, I always know all the entrances. I always know the exits. I always know fire alarms. I always knew my environment, always. Like that was my base. I go in anywhere. I scan everything for if something bad happens. Where do I go? What do I do? I don't have to do that anymore. Now I just kind of sweep the environment for awareness, but the fear, that hamster wheel is quiet. So, mm. Yeah, there's something very interesting that you mentioned in the beginning um, as you started expanding on your story, and that was you spoke about the child brain and the teen brain. Could you just expand what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so basically we have, as a human being, we have two parts. We have what, what I call a child brain and a teen brain. And, and I also define it as cat training mode, dog training modes, how you play with them. So it's easier to start with the dog because you can get that. Dogs are usually, the child brain shows up somewhere around four to five-ish and it runs through about 9 to 12-ish. And I say ish because life experiences can make things happen faster. I shifted to teen brain at 6, so I completely wasn't ready for it yet. But I was at survival mode because of the sexual abuse. I had to protect myself. So I had to mature. And so when a kid is in a kid brain, child brain, they're literal they want to be part of the pack. They want the approval of the leader of the group. They want to be a good boy. They want to be a good girl. You can use positional authority because I said so. Um, the thing with cat training mode with the teeny brain, teens only care about what they care about. And try to, try to condition a cat, train a cat to do something. You can't use negative reinforcement on a cat. If you give a cat pain, they kind of look at you. And the second time you do it, they're done with you. Mm. A dog, you can give them pain. And they're like, oh, I was bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Not that I recommend you, you cause animals pain ever, but it's the idea that, that dogs and cats relate to it differently. You, you smack a dog, the dog goes, wait, what, what did I do? Am I bad? You smack a cat, they're like, what's your problem? And so with teenagers, what motivates them? Usually food. 
food sh- uh, shelter. They care about a peer group, but only the peer group that they care about, the peer group they want to be a part of. So, you know, as a family, you're like, oh, you know, my kid's this way, that way. And all of a sudden, somewhere between 10 and 12, they don't want to be part of the family anymore. It feels like that. And it's not that they don't, it's that they're starting to move a layer out into the world and more maturity, more sophistication. Their peer group is no longer just the family. It's this other group that they select and want to join. And a lot of parents don't process that very well. And they're like, well, you just don't care about us anymore. All you care about is your friends. All you care about is being online and playing those games. And They're more sophisticated, so they're able to handle more stuff. The other thing about teen brain or cat training mode, from zero to about three to five is also cat training mode because babies and toddlers, they don't care about being part of the pack. They don't care about the group. They care about food and safety and their protection and their needs and desires. Mm. That's what, that's where they're at developmentally. And so that's just kind of normal process. So you can kind of think of it like cat training mode. And then there's this bubble of time where you get dog training mode and that herd mentality shows up. And then, the more sophisticated teen brain where they've integrated that, that pack need, but now it's changing form. And we as adults are still running a teen brain because it really is about the, the forebrain and how it links into the midbrain. Forebrain deals with consequential thinking, forecasting, predicting behavior, moving through time and space. The midbrain is more of our emotional center, our connection to other human beings. So they call that the mammalian brain and the uh, human brain. But that linking process is, is, is lifelong, right? Maturity, maturity is optional. Age is mandatory because I met some adults that I thought would have been older and mature and they're not. And so we struggle with that. And so that's that, that child brain, teen brain. So we're all teens. Once, we, once that window of time as kids goes away, once they can start handling language, implicit and explicit, what you say, what you mean are different. That's the hallmark of a teen brain because they're more sophisticated and they understand language multiple levels. So that's why they run into moral ambiguities. You told me this, but we're doing that. I don't know why there's conflict. Teens love their parents, but don't always respect their parents because mm-hmm. the choices you're making based on what I know, I would make different choices. So there's a, a whole bunch of patterns and behaviors that flow out of recognizing when someone's in that child or in that teen, you got to work with them different if you want to maintain a relationship, you know, hammering on a team because I said so, all you're doing is hurting the relationship. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's, uh, to me, it sounds like uh, a lot of your passion is obviously out of what happened to you as, as a kid. And then obviously now that passion is turned into empowering children, right? Um, but I'm sure that yep. what you're applying to children at this point can also be applied to adults, um, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of uh, teaching them life uh, skills and qualities and traits. So I'm also curious to know, like, what has been the, the main difference between empowering children and empowering an adult? Per se? <laughs> that was easy. Adults think they're better at lying to themselves. Because <laughs> you'll have adults, and they'll be upset. They ask if they're upset. They're like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. So we hide okay. it. We yeah, we, we try to hide it. The thing is the body can't lie. You'll, you'll see the physiology if you know what to look for. Mm. You'll see the tension, the tightening in the eyes, the movement of the lips, the, the raising and falling of the chest. Body you know, language. They lift their chest up or they drop down. Yeah, the body can't lie. Always the, the, the body will tell what's going on. Breathing patterns change, heart rates change if, if you're sensitive. And I'm not always sensitive because I'm a guy and I got room on that side to grow. <laughs> but yeah, you'll see 
adults think they're better at lying to themselves or mm. justifying and rationalizing versus just being honest. You're upset. You're, you're disappointed. You're frustrated. You're, you, you feel under, underwhelmed. The, the reaction, you spent all this time and energy doing this thing, and the reaction you got from other people wasn't big, warm, and happy. It was just kind of, oh, okay. They just sort of expected it from you, and, and you put all this effort in, and you didn't get the, the appreciation, the gratitude you thought you should have. Own that. Speak up. Say, hey, guys, I work really hard on this. I really appreciate hearing a thank you. Thank you. Hey, that sounded nice. Thanks. Thanks for saying thanks. Do you think that's partly oh. due to us um, as we become adults? We become more conscious of who we are and who we want to become, but then we also get a little bit attached to other people's opinions about us. Do you, do you think it's partly due to that? Because I see that all the time. Oh, yeah. I think it's fear, fear of rejection. Mm, because yeah. the... the the, the deepest fears we have as a species is the fear that we're not enough and the fear we won't be loved. And it comes from when we were babies and, and mom and dad's oxytocin levels dropped. And mm. yesterday we threw up on them and they said, oh, good job. And then today <laughs> we threw up on them and they yelled at us. And we're like, yeah. what just happened? Because as kids, I mean, we're just inputs and outputs. And so we suddenly start randomizing behavior until we get that energy flow back, you know, hit ourselves, become a victim, but hit ourselves. And then we get attention, start to speak, we get attention mm. and start to stand up, we get attention, grab something. Mm. So depending on what we do to, to, to pull that energy back in, that becomes a very deep, unconscious behavioral trait, how we connect with other human beings. And when we're not conscious of that, then yeah, we live in a lot of fear of rejection because, well, if I'm too much of X or Y or Z, people will reject me. And my thought is always like, well, then those are people are telling you that they need to self-select out of your life. Because they don't want you to be who you are. They want you to be who they want you to be. Yeah. And it's your life and it's your consequences. So own that. And if they have an issue with it, they can take a big pill and shut up. Yeah. So let's say that you are in that situation where you have internalized a lot of the rejection that happened to you in the past. What, what would you say? What is your suggestion in terms of identifying whether that is the case? So being open and just having some self-awareness to say that that is the case, being honest with yourself and say, I think I have a fear of rejection and I need to deal with that. So firstly, how do we, how do we spot that in ourselves? And then second, how can we deal with that? Sometimes it's a deeper scar, but other times it's just something floating above and we can, there should be like a tool that we can use to, you know, yeah, overcome yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So here, do this with me really quick. Sit up as tall as you can. And I'm standing because I stand when I do this. But shoulders back, head up nice and tall. Now say, I feel terrible. That feels... Go ahead. Uh, okay. Say, say, I feel say, I feel terrible. I feel terrible. <laughs> does, does, the, does the feeling in the body, those words in the body, do they match? Or does it feel Never. Like, like I'm laughing while I'm saying it. It doesn't work. Exactly. Now, <laughs> hollow your chest, push out your back, put your chin in the hole, look down at the floor, take a deep breath, let it out slow, and then say, I feel wonderful. It's again, it's that opposite feeling. It's that yeah. there's like yeah. an incongruence there. Yeah, yeah, but say it. Just say it. Say, I feel wonderful. <laughs> out loud. Out loud. I feel wonderful. Right. Now, there's some people, this is actually how they do feel wonderful. Because that they've internalized. But, but, but that's, where they, that's what they're at, right? They've internalized that negative, that negative self-worth, that I'm less than, I should be. Or, you know, women with big, huge gazungas, and it feels good to stretch their back because they don't <laughs> do that enough. But it's the idea that this is, you know, being rounded shoulders, turn sideways for the camera, but being rounded shoulders and smushed down, they mm. feel comfortable there. They're like, oh, this feels really good. Because that, that, that right there, for me, when I work with kids, that, mm. that already is a sign. It's like they're already internalizing a, a lack of self-worth or making, diminishing themselves. So identify so the physiology. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So last one, yeah. shoulders back, head up nice and tall. Now say, I feel wonderful. I feel wonderful. <laughs> there you go. And that one feels congruent, right? So, yes. So that we call positive energy. You feel warm, you feel big, you feel happy inside. Negative energy, you feel small, you feel sad, you feel cold. If feeling small, sad, cold inside feels comfortable, feels appropriate, that's a sign. It's like, but you don't deserve to be smushed down. So then we got to go explore that. Where'd that come from? What's your sense of self-worth? What's your self-identity? There's some, there's some tools and some places we can go to kind of figure out what's going on in there. But just that awareness of, well, wait a minute, try that. Which one feels the best, A, B, or C? And if we're, if we're mentally, emotionally healthy, shoulders back, head up nice and tall, this feels good. Mm. If you were raised in a stressful environment, if you were raised with a lot of verbal abuse, if you were raised with your identity being smushed down by the authority figures in your life, mm. then down here will feel comfortable. It feels weird to be big. Yeah, it's almost like the new norm. Yeah, exactly, exactly what it is. Mm. That, it's not a new norm. That is their norm. Yeah. And so they feel, if, if I don't feel smushed down, I don't feel stressed, then I'm really uncomfortable and I'm scared. So I got to go back to this place. So there's a thing called projection, which is when you take your crap and you throw it out on other people. But the opposite of that is called introjection. Mm. It's like, oh, my life is too successful. It's too easy. This is, mm. I'm too happy. I deserve to be punished, which is mm. where I was for a really long time. And I used anger as my mask to stay away from fear. But it's that idea that I don't deserve to be X or Y or Z. I don't deserve to have. And so they'll self-sabotage to get back to that place of being smooshed down. Why do celebrities destroy themselves? They're rich, they've got money, they've got access, and they go make these stupid life choices, mm. die in car crashes when they could hire someone to drive them, abuse alcohol, abuse drugs, because they get so wrapped up in, and there's a, there's a schism, you know, we call it the neurological scotoma, there's this blind spot inside their mind and in their heart, I don't deserve to be this thing, I don't feel genuine. And so that imposter syndrome, because it feels mm -hmm. incongruent to be warm and big and happy and to get praise and to get acknowledgement. A lot of artists struggle with that because it's, I'm tortured by this vision or this thing that I have. And then someone says, no, that's really awesome. They're like, no, it's not. It's this horrible pain that I have. No, dude, that's real creative. No, I'm like, I'm like, wait, just like, I'm, you don't understand. Like the darkness lives in me, man. No, I've been there too. I, I get that darkness. No, you can't possibly. And and they just drive themselves down here more and more and more until they snuff the flame. Have a new identity. Do you think that's part? Yeah, due or no to, identity because they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> and do you think that's part of self belief, um, self worth? Absolutely, totally. Because it's, it's, it goes to, um, there's the great poem, and I, f I forget exactly who wrote it, but it's the idea of, you know, who am I to be amazing and successful and brilliant and all this? It's who are you not to be, child of God? And I don't throw that out in a religious sense. You're a child of the universe. The fact you were born is a 400 trillion to one against. You won the first race. You were born a winner. You had to learn to become a loser. You had to be trained. You had to have it drilled into you from the world around you. Because little kids, they just try stuff. They just do stuff. And then the people around them say, no, don't, stop. Mm. Don't reach that high. Don't climb that high. Don't. Mm. And we drive them down and make them smaller than what they are because they don't know. We limit some of them. that's to keep them safe. Yeah, some of that's to keep them safe, but some of it, it we put our fears into them. Right? When I was four, I climbed on the roof of the house. We lived in Turkey. There's a fig tree in the backyard. I climbed it because I was insane and I had no fear and I was raised on the leash because I ran into traffic. This was before the abuse. Just my energy level was so high. So I'm four years old. I'm on the roof of the house. 
my daughter, when she was four, didn't get on the roof of the house, but I paid attention to where she was and her access points because when she was two, in my old martial arts school, we had some, some one-inch thick exposed pipe conduit for electricity that went up the wall, and she climbed it. She's six feet up in the air, two, two years old. And we just went, oh, hi. And I just pulled her off the wall and put her on the floor and put something to block that pipe and said, that's not a great idea. We might do that later. Versus, oh, what are you doing, bad girl? And smack her and yell at her and scream, put all this fear into her. Could have done that too. But I climbed the thing when I was four. I'm not dead. Do I need to react that hard? Or just like, dude, let's go do something else. Let's do something more fun. This is cool, but let's do something more fun and redirect that energy. It's a whole lot easier to redirect than it is to suppress. Yeah, that story you just explained there with your child climbing up those those pipes. Um, it just in that moment it showed me the amount of, I think you said it just now, the fear that we instill in kids, the conditioning that we place on them, the way that we, the way that we as um, I'm not a parent yet, but the way that parents limit their children and limit mm-hmm. not even children but others as well that did, that they deal with, and it just shows me how much emotional awareness we should actually have as people. Um, so, but. There's another thing that I want to jump onto that you just mentioned. You said you had anger, and I'm sure you said oh, yeah. somewhere it, it was for uh, like about 20 years. Could you just jump into that? Yeah. What, what got you there and then how you got out of that? Because I, I'm sure there's others that are listening that are also perhaps struggling with some sort of anger and they just can't get rid of it. Um, what is your solution to that? Well, you don't. You don't get rid of it. It's part of you. That's, that's cut off your hand. They manage it. You know, your hand makes you... You make mistakes sometimes with your hands to cut the thing off. No, that's not right. what you do. Yeah, you have to realize you just have a higher level of passion, right? And this is if you understand spiral dynamics by Claire Graves, level three, the power god, red, our anger, our id from Freud, that, that sense of personal me, my wants, my drives, desires, passions, your will to power, to borrow from Nietzsche, right? It's that idea of your personal sense, that's where all your creativity is. That's where all your passion to achieve, to be, to do everything. The thing is, if you just light a fire and let it go, it'll tear apart the world. It'll burn everything down. So you have to learn how to focus that energy. So I still have a huge temper. What I did was, you know, I like to say to my students, I still have a temper a mile long or a mile wide. What I did is I grew my fuse 10 miles long. Hmm. Because I started to, I realized, you know, I, I had a hair trigger. I had millimeters. You give me just a little bit of pressure, <laughs> my answer to everything was anger. You say hello to me, I get mad at you. You don't say hello to me, I get mad at you. You know, how dare you interrupt me? How dare you ignore me? <laughs> I mean, it's just my answer to everything, paint everything with the same brush. Yeah. That's all I had was one hammer, I'm going to smash everything. Yeah. And so I had to, oh, hold on, dude. Take a deep breath. What's really going on? And it was, again, from Grandmaster Ming, my Sifu Benny Ming, when he said, don't talk to yourself like that. I started noticing just how worked up I got inside my head over everything. It was just a story. Again, the hamster wheel just spinning. Yep. It's just a story I was spinning on myself. And it came from, it, it, anger is usually a defense mechanism to protect you from other emotions. Anger, uh, anger masks sadness, fear, hurt, guilt. And, yep. and so each of these emotions, you know, anger masks sadness, sadness masks hurt, hurt masks fear and fear mass guilt, but it's any one of those emotions. When you get into anger, you feel powerful and you feel like you can make things happen. And I worked in the sandpaper factory and I was really productive because I was angry. So I had all this extra strength. I was running on adrenaline all the time and I couldn't gain weight no matter what I ate because I'm fatiguing my body hormonally. You know, my endocrine system is just off the chart crazy. So that's helpful in the factory, but that doesn't make me a happy person. It doesn't make me any friends. 
And so I had to look at that and go, well, dude, take a breath, slow down. And so I would go for walks by myself, just out, just go for a walk and just talk to myself, go for a run, talk to myself and just be like, dude. So I started to like personify that emotion as something separate from me. Mm-hmm. So I could talk to him, be like, dude, what's going on? I mean, I understand you're here to protect and you're here to keep safe. And I love that. But you also realize we're losing out this and this and this because that reaction. Can we just take it back a step? Can we just breathe for a second? And so that's how I began to like, you know, I would read these different strategies. And then I would talk to my unconscious, but I would talk to my unconscious as if it was a separate person. And we would negotiate and then realize, you know, hey, how can we handle this differently? And, and, you know, if I had a team of people, I'm debriefing my teammates. And that's kind of how I started to de-escalate myself and started to like take a step back and not be so quick to jump to conclusions, right? When I was younger, the only exercise I got was jumping to conclusions. Because you said this one thing, I would extrapolate this whole entire world of mm-hmm. meaning. That didn't mean any of that crap. That's all my story. That's all my fear. That's all my, again, projection. I made all that up. Take a deep breath. Just ask. Wait, 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 wait. You said, you said this. What did, you, what did you mean by that? Did you mean it this way or did you mean it that way? Like if you can get curious, curiosity a lot of times will interrupt that anger. Mm. And don't make the anger wrong because if you resist it and push it away, you're just going to make it more powerful. You're angry, you say, man, I'm pissed. I'm just so frustrated. I'm so angry. I'm so, okay, cool. Own that for a second. Then take a deep breath. Just because you feel it doesn't mean you have to express it. doesn't mean you have to live there. That's that, that whole breathe for 10 seconds, count to 10, count to 100, count to 47 million backwards while hopping on one foot. I mean, whatever it takes to just kind of like burn that energy out a little bit. Right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those practical tips. I think it's very helpful um, to be able to know that we've got, we've got tools within us to just um, help us in that, in that moment, especially if it's something that's disempowering or it's something that's going to hurt someone else, then it's, it's great to start using those tips. You said that, uh, Absolutely. uh your, your master in Kung Fu helped you a lot. And that really brings me back to the idea of, of sports and just, I feel that sports has got so much to do with our personal development and it helps so much. I'd like to get like your perspective on that. Like, would you suggest people get into sports, something like martial arts and how it can improve your life? You know, it can elevate you so much. I, I just like your perspective on that. Yeah, absolutely. We are physical beings, right? Our body is part of the journey. In, in our, our ancestors, our Kung Fu ancestors, um, the Shaolin Temple, there's this guy shows up and his name is Bodhidharma. And he meets these temple, these monks. And these monks are like very spiritually accomplished. They're great human beings. But when they're like, you know, doing their exercises and trying to meditate and trying to do the different things, they fall asleep because the, the Buddhism that they practiced at the time was like, oh, the mind is the only thing that matters. The body is a sin and the body is, and he's like, guys, if you had a boat and on that boat you had this really important jewel and you went from this shore over to that shore and then halfway the boat sinks because the boat's got holes in it and no one took care of it, you guys see a problem here? And so it's the idea of the body and the mind, both, not one more than. You know, the body, the mind, the soul, the spirit, however you want to – but they all they, – they co-mingle. They all work together. And so mm. I'm not saying worship the body and make the body the only thing, but – like take care of the temple guys, not just the physical temple, but the body temple. If you're not getting enough sleep, if you're not eating enough food, if you're not exercising, your body is built, use it or lose it. If you don't take care of it, it's going to wear out. If you abuse it, it's going to wear out. Your body will run 90, 95% capacity, even as it's getting close to critical point of failure. You won't even know it. And all of a sudden, something will happen and you'll cascade into, tra- into catastrophic injury. Like it happened so suddenly. 
No, it happened over the last 15 years that you were doing this and this and this, and you finally hit the point of critical failure in one system that then cascaded through several others. Kind of like other areas of life, you can mask it for only so long, and then you know companies, they mask it for so long, and all of a sudden, one thing comes out, and the whole company just unravels. So get your body up, get it moving. And with kids especially, we want to get them up and get them active to help create a love of activity. Mm. A lot of times what happens is we get kids into structured stuff way too young. And then it's like, drive, drive, drive. You got to get to college. You got to get money. You got to get this. You got to get this. And they're trying to force all this stuff. And then they get to a point, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not fun. You know, we have seven-year-olds getting groin injuries because they have no flexibility in their lower body playing baseball. That's inappropriate. They should be playing and doing just a wide range of full body movements, not yeah. specialized in only one sport. Mm. So I encourage martial arts because martial arts does touch on physical, mental, emotional, social. If you get in a fight in martial arts, we're going to unpack that and go, where did that come from? Where a lot of sports, if you get in a fight, you get kicked off the team. We didn't resolve the issue. We didn't figure out where the disharmony is or what the spark was. So I, I encourage that also because all the other sports and activities you do won't help you stop somebody who's trying to kill you or has a knife or has a gun or those sorts of things. So if we just raise a society where everyone kind of knows how to handle themselves, the need and the desire to go hurt people goes down because the consequences are much higher. Everyone could kick my butt. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'll find other solutions. Yeah, there's, there's like an array of benefits that I can just hear with, uh, when you speak about martial arts in that way. And I, I truly agree with you on all the aspects that you mentioned, especially on the side of health as well. It's just, it's so integrated in who we are as people. And even speaking about the physiology a little bit earlier has also got to do with the health and stuff. So uh, that, that is like an entire subject for another talk. But oh, yeah. I, I love well, that. Well, just, just in schools, they're taking away recess and they have behavioral issues. Mm. Guys, the human brain can only process. You can only live in your head for so long. you got to process that into your unconscious. And the unconscious is what drives the body. you got to get up and you got to move. It lets you internalize information. Ideally, 22 minutes. You, you spend 22 minutes on the subject, take a five-minute break, go do stuff. Then you come back to a five-minute review, do another 22, and you can do like 45-minute chunks, 90-minute chunks, and then you take a break for like a half hour or take a 90-minute break. And then you come back and you can do another stack. And then the next day you do a five-minute review, and then a week you do a five-minute review, and then in a month you do a five-minute review, and then you've basically locked it into your unconscious for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's a much more efficient way to learn. But then it means like we have to manage kids differently. And, and even just the, the idea of childhood didn't exist as a, as a species until Victorian England child labor laws. Because prior to that, what did kids do? They helped run the farm or they helped work in a factory or they were little people expected to do things and shut up and don't, be talk, don't talk until you're spoken to. And so the whole concept of childhood didn't exist only about 150 years old. There's so much actually that we still need to learn about that. Uh, Absolutely. And also the education of children. But once again, like I'd love to jump into this into another episode. There's something you, you speak out of a lot of, uh, like you come from a lot of knowledge. I can just feel that you have a lot of knowledge in that mind of yours. <laughs> and um, I saw something on your profile. I saw that you actually studied with, with Tony Robbins and you did, I don't know if you did a course or if you did something with him personally, but I'd love to jump in how the experience was with Tony and also yeah, like yeah. what what was the core outcome of, of his studies because I that's where that's more or less where my personal development journey started and it was 
some of the most amazing content that I've ever experienced. Um, I'm not uh, absorbing his content as much these days, but that was definitely the springboard for me. And, you know, it was like a broad understanding also of, of life in general and business. And um, I just want to get your view on that since you studied with, with Tony and yeah, what was yeah. the core outcome of that? What was, I'm so fascinated by people that study with, with him. Like it always fascinates me. Yep. So, so I did basically, it was all like different forms of group training mm-hmm. and, and inter- interact with some of his like key people, but um, he's got a ton of key people. He's been doing this for so long, <laughs> but uh, basically you think the way I think about what Tony does is a Tupperware party, right? You go to a thing that's called Unleash the Power Within. It's like yes. his, his signature workshop. That's the doorway. And there's going to be a sales pitch in there, usually on Saturday, yeah. um, because it's the, there's, they're going to do some cool stuff. But in that four, four and a half day or three and a half day workshop, you're going to walk on fire. You're going to shift your values and beliefs about yourself and what you think you're capable of. You're going to go through and you're going to release basically, you know, it's called the Dickens process, which is on Saturday. And it helps to, if you could go through your own Christmas carol, if you could go through that and go, you know, really connect into the pain of your life as it is 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, what's that going to happen? Stack all of that in, but then pull the covers off and replace it with something brighter, shinier, something actually meaningful to you. Mm. He takes you through that process. It's a, it's a, it's a very long, it's a, it's a very powerful shifting of an experience. Friday, Thursday, half day, <laughs> half day. We start at 1 p.m. We finish at 2 a.m. That's a half day. And then Saturday or Friday is like an all day, which is like 7 a.m. to like 2 a.m., uh, maybe 3 a.m. depending. And then he's on stage like for almost all of this. And then Saturday um, is again early to late. And then Sunday is the day to like work on your health and vitality. That's a half day. It finishes about three in the afternoon. Um, but the idea there, the way I the way I think of it or relate to it is whatever you're doing in your life right now, it's because it meets your needs on some level. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't like it, even if it's negative, it's meeting your needs. But you're not happy. There's friction there because it's not your real identity. And so you can think about the life that you have as like this giant tree and Unleash the Power Within comes in and kind of rips all that crap out by the roots. And now it's floating free and you have this other experience. The danger is when you go back home, you're going back into the same environment, the same people, the same references. And even if you made a, a real shift, people are like, oh, but that's not really you. Oh, but that's not who you are. And they, they hit back on your old identity. So you're in this new place, but you have people well-meaning, but they're like crabs in a bucket. They're going to pull you back down to their level because that's what they know. They're comfortable with you at a certain place. And if you start to elevate too far, it scares them because they feel like they're going to lose you or you're going to abandon them. So they hold you down, not not out of maliciousness, just out of connection saying, Hey, you know, we're family, we're this, we're that. And it's like, but your family's not always your peer group. They're not always the healthiest people to be around. And, and that's a challenge. Um, so then there's a series of workshops, master's universities, like the next layer and mm. you go through life, life wealth mastery, which is about how to master your physical body, how to start getting control of your finances. Um, and then you're going to go through a thing called David destiny and David destiny is by far probably the best thing you can possibly do in your life. And he has it as a book. That's what I was looking for on the wall. Um, but I have the book behind me. It's Unleash the Power Within. I'm sorry. It's, it's Awaken the Giant Within. Give me one second. That is an amazing book. Oh, yeah. It's 512 pages. I remember pages. buying it to my dad as well. Yeah, it's a massive book. Well, there's a friend of mine who is a coach, and he will not work with people unless they've read it. Wow. And he'll start asking them. He'll ask them specific spots in the book. I don't see it in my bookcase. I may have taken it down to look at <laughs> 
but I actually have it in the bookcase behind me. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was like, he, he presents it as the workshop he made for himself. Wow. And to go through that in person, go back to, you have that tree and you rip the roots out. Now mm. we're just going to get rid of the tree completely. Because you go through and you, you lay out what are the values, what's the life you really want to live, and what are the values that are going to get you there, and then let's just install them on purpose, right? You're being brainwashed by society to buy stuff you don't want, to impress people you don't care about. Mm. Why not just take six days to really brainwash yourself how mm. you want to be? And so he's not telling you what to do. He's giving you the structure. He's giving you the skeleton. And then by you doing the exercises, you're on a team of like 20 people. You find a partner you work with for the, for the time. Um, the young lady I work with, actually, uh, Zoe, her martial arts instructor, because I had Kung Fu guy on my thing, so that's why we partnered up. Mm-hmm. But her martial arts instructor actually wrote the screenplay for Sleepless in Seattle. Wow. Um, so that was, it was like an interesting, oh, wow, that's so crazy. But yeah, so, um, but you meet some really awesome people and then you kind of work through your ish and you just figure out, well, where do I really want to be? And we went through, like, what was your earliest memory? And for me, my earliest memory was the abuse by the guard. Mm. And then we went to like, but what's the memory before the memory? And I can now remember before the guard came down from the station with his junk in his hand, I can remember um, where I was. I was playing in the, I was playing out in the sand dunes and there was this area of construction and my friends and I used to go out there and we would play and we would like, we would build forts or we'd, you know, construct stuff. And so my, my, my earliest memory now is being full of love and light in the world and being connected to source and something greater than myself. That's a really better first memory than being abused by a security guard. And so, you know, how much money is that worth to go get that experience? But now I have that as a first memory, um, you know, there were people that had like car accidents, like their mom was in a car accident while they were in utero. That was their first memory. Wow. And is that really their first memory or is it some projection and hallucination inside their unconscious? I don't know. It's their life, not mine. But they found a more meaningful first memory earlier than that. And so, again, you, you, that gestalt, that sense of yourself begins to change. And then it ripples forward and it starts to have more energy. If you don't spend time making yourself wrong, how much more energy would you have? You're not pushing yourself down to try and fit in these boxes that other people have made for you or you've made for yourself because you think that's who you have to be. And so that's really the cool part of that whole sequence. And then he's got um, Leadership Academy. You go through and you do kind of all the same activities, but now from behind the, behind the, behind the wall, you start to see the processes. And what I did, I didn't go, I didn't go through leadership yet. Um, but what I did do is one of his one of his top trainers is a guy named Steve Linder, and Steve teaches hypnotherapy. He teaches um, neuro linguistic programming and neuro strategies. He only does it like once or twice a year because he's actually working with people all the time rather than running seminars on certifying people to run stuff. So he doesn't do a lot of teachy stuff. He does a lot mm-hmm. of like go do things. Shares that once or twice a year with his tribe, and so that's who I got certified through back in 2012. Um, and I went through Tony stuff in 2011 and it shifted just so much stuff. Like my parents didn't even know that the abuse had happened until I was like 36. Wow. Um, yeah. So it had been, it had literally been 30 years. Then they found out about it. And, um, because I just, I wasn't able to talk about it. I wasn't able to like put it to words and UPW, the first one, Unleash the Power Within, that helped me make that shift that it was like, I can own this now. And then going through the other processes and then going and getting the certifications with Steve, they really helped me to get better language, better tools, better understanding. And now I can unpack all that crap and then I release all that stuff. And so now the, the thing Steve talks about with 
any kind of learning or transformation, you're not done until you can do three things. Number one, you can talk about it in the positive. Number two, you can talk about it for the future. And number three, it's about how you showed up. So if somebody is still talking about something in the negative, in the past, and about other people, that means there's still energy there to be released. Hmm. And so I'm at the point now, I had a conversation actually with somebody this past weekend. I wouldn't trade my abuse for anything because my daughter would not exist. My five-year-old daughter, this amazing young lady who showed up 14 weeks early, spent 13 weeks in the hospital, came home on oxygen. She wouldn't exist because of who I would have been if I'd never gone if I'd never gotten the abuse, my whole life would be in a different place. And I've always felt like I'm 10 years behind. Well, my wife is 16 years younger than me, so that works out that I'm a little less mature and she's a little more mature. We meet, we meet in the middle and it works. But for the longest time, I mean, I decided at nine I wanted to be a dad. It didn't happen until I was 39. Well, Part of my life's mission, the story I choose, is my life is about learning patience, but not sit on your butt and wait for things to happen patience but make the decision, move forward and allow things to catch up with you, but not be so stressed about the result. Because I was, I had another hamster wheel for where is she? Where's my soulmate? When am I going to find her? Every room I walk into, I'm hungry and I'm hurting. Well, you know, that's really, really repellent to every female in the place, right? Because <laughs> they're all going, because <laughs> they can feel that. Yeah, feel the energy. Because I'm, I'm unstable, right? And I didn't know that. And that's actually how I knew when I met Autumn um, I went to another conference where I had like two other girls I had met that I, I really liked and the hamster wheel was gone. I just, I could be present. I could be friendly. And I love both of these ladies. They're amazing. They're doing fantastic work and I love them and I have no desire for them. I can just love them as a friend. And I had never had that experience until I had met Autumn. That's how I knew it was like, Oh yeah, that's the woman for me. <laughs> it's like, I know, I know. Uh, it's awesome when you have those feelings when you just know something is like, you know, it's the right time or the right person or the right um, opportunity. It's just an amazing feeling. You briefly touched on NLP um, yes. for the audience because, I mean, we don't have a lot of time left, but what, what is NLP and how can we use it to our, uh, to our advantage? I know you can't give like the broad overview of all of it, but yeah. just the gist of it, what it's about, and perhaps one tool that, that's available for us that don't sure. practice NLP. So NLP means neuro-linguistic programming, and it's the idea, it came out of the 1970s from the work of um, Richard Bandler and John Grinder and their team of, of, of people, and they basically they were modeling excellence. They were looking at people who were excellent mm -hmm. at a thing, and they were saying, well, what beliefs do those people have, and are there similarities? Because somebody who's very, very, very good at a skill will talk to them a certain way. They'll, they'll stand a certain way, breathe a certain way, and if we model that, if we copy what they're doing, does it enhance our performance? And the answer is yes. If you, if you have children, take two minutes before a test, stand up like a superhero and imagine they're a superhero and they're so smart and so wise and they just stand and breathe as if they're superheroes for two minutes. Now go take a test. They kick it out of the park. Like, like literally like 20, 30, 40, 50% better That's performance. Because well, you, you're, you're activating the part of your brain where your confidence is. So now you're feeling confident, go do the thing. So if you have a presentation for work, you have a sales call, stand up and breathe as if you're a superhero. Imagine if you were Grant Cardone, if you were, you know, the, he's, he's one of the guys, if, if you were Dan Locke, if you were uh, Tom Hopkins, think about your favorite salesperson, somebody you respect and you really appreciate their skill. Stand as if you were them, breathe as if you were them, think as if you were them mm. and then make the call and watch what happens. Right. If you just decided when you come home, you decided that you were excited 
to walk in the door and see your family versus, ah, crap, I got to deal with these guys. I'm exhausted. I just put in 14 hours in the factory. If you just decide a different story, man, I can't wait to see these people. My whole life I've been waiting to be a part of them and I get to be the dad and stand that way for a minute, breathe that way for a minute, and then open the door. You show up more powerfully. You show up differently. And so that's the idea of neurolinguistic programming is the, the, the language we use, the linguistics, the way we talk reveals how we store things in our brain, how we hold them neurologically. So if someone says, oh, I see what you mean, or I'm feeling what you're saying, or yeah, that sounds great, or I really understand that. They're telling you, are they more auditory, more visual, more kinesthetic, or more conceptual? They're telling you how they process. And so if you put some, you know, you're, you're working with somebody and they're visual and you keep telling them about, doesn't this look, or doesn't this sound great, but they're visual, doesn't this, doesn't this feel nice, but they're visual. There's something about that conversation they're not going to understand or not going to mm-hmm. resonate with. If you look how good this, see how good this is, see what a great deal this is, that resonates. So a lot of people in sales have used NLP. Really the idea though is how to, understand and enter somebody else's model of the world. So my daughter is visual kinesthetic. She needs to see stuff. She needs to do stuff. So I can talk, 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 or, Hey babe, let's do this together. Mm. It's going to be faster to get her on board and teach her a skill. So it's how can I enter their model? How can I understand them? Then I can be where they are and we can build relationship faster, easier, quicker. And it can be abused like any tool. Yes, obviously. But it can also, it, it can enhance. And that's really why the way I use it is how do I enhance the experiences of the people around me? And the thing I learned from Steve when I went through my certification, you always leave choice. Because something has to be what we call ecological, you know, attainable and sustainable. It has to fit into their world. So if they could do this thing, but at this huge cost, have to jettison all their friends, jettison all their family, it's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to match their true identity. So we have to give them the opportunity to make their own choices because ultimately it's their consequences and it's their life. So we don't do process to people or on people. We do it with them. That is such a strong tool, like the way you just explained it to me. And it's also, it's so empowering to know that it's, it's something that you don't just use for yourself, but you can use it to understand, especially other people's models, because I've seen in my own life, like if I start to understand how another person thinks and where they're coming from, I'm, I'm in such a better position to position myself in a way that I can be more of value to them. I can serve them better. And the, the example you just explained that you tried to illustrate to me, um, there's a guy called Todd Herman who also speaks about the alternate ego. And he also says that you need to embody the people that you like to be like or, or you know to you sort yep. of like embody this this skill in such a way that you start to speak like them you start to stand yep. like them you start to operate like them and that is i think that is such yeah. a powerful tool i'm so fascinated by nlp I, I definitely think it's something that i'm also going to try and study um in the near future obviously to add to my own skill set and then just to change the world <laughs> yeah i definitely would recommend steve he he runs a group called um the strategic brain um, the other thing, what you just mentioned with with what Todd Herman talks about, um, in Jungian psychology, that's the hero archetype, right? Mm. And whenever we project outward onto the hero, whenever we project outward, we will never become that thing, right? So, so if I have a hero that I'm projecting all this, they're so great, they're so amazing, they're so wonderful, they're so, they're so, they're so, the implicit is, and I'm not. And we have to, with all of the different archetypes, if we want to be a fully integrated human being, we have to bring them in and we have to internalize them. 
So what is it about that person that you appreciate or you enjoy? And then you can model that behavior until it becomes a part of you. Um, in Buddhism, they say, wear the mask of the Buddha long enough, eventually you can't take it off. So if you just pretend to be compassionate and nice and gentle with everybody all the time, eventually that pretend becomes your reality. You know, we say it, more people will say fake it till you make it, but it's really the idea of be that embodiment until it becomes, you know, it's no longer a projection. It just, it just is. Yeah. There's another lady that I listened to before that also used that label, um, fake it till you make it, but she just changes it slightly up. She just says that fake it till you become it. Because like you just said, you are going to become that which you pretend to be. And it's, it's whatever you focus on is what you become. Right. Yeah. My wife and I were just talking, we just had a 400 mile road trip back home. We were talking about how we get to program a human being by our reaction. I mean, we tell our daughter what's safe to tell us by how we act and react. She tells us something. We don't want to hear it. We start yelling and screaming. We explode. Well, she's not going to tell us that ever again, but if we make it safe for, Hey, I'm really disappointed to hear that, but I'm glad that you told me. I love you. And I respect the fact that you told me that. I think we need to have a little bit of a conversation about what's going on. Not right this moment, because I'll make sure we're all in a good place. But just being able to receive that and not, not let my anger become her anger. Because if my reaction is go to that anger mode, which I can, and you know, full disclosure, I'm still a human being. I still get pissed off at times. Of I yell, I all the rest. Um, but by us being a little more conscious in our reactions, then we help her. We're programming her how she can process. We're giving her a model that she can follow because she's looking at us going, you guys are amazing. I want to be just like you right now. <laughs> we'll see what happens between <laughs> nine and 12 when that peer influence starts to show up and puberty and all that great stuff. Um, but you know, my, my mom gave me that great curse. May you have a kid just like you. And I was still in a lot of pain. I threw it right back at her and I said, fine, I'll know how to handle it. Um, Cause someone just like me, great. I'll be awesome. And she's pretty close to just like me. <laughs> That's what I want to, yeah. <laughs> but I love, I love how you and your wife also have conversations in the car that are so like uh, thoughtful and just, you know, just thought provoking and insightful. And, and I don't know, I, you don't get, you typically get, or what I see is you typically get these uh, superficial conversations and yeah, I just, reactional. Yeah. Reactional. I just, there's something in, in, in me that just doesn't enjoy that, enjoy that sort of conversations. Although it's, 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 it's needed sometimes, but not all the time, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't make small talk. It's really hard for me. Like yeah. I have to play nice. I'm like, okay, can we just like skip this crap and like talk about cool stuff? <laughs> yeah, I talk about, I love how you just found it. Cool stuff. Let's call it cool stuff. It is. It's like, well, Hey, I love, I love those shoes. What motivated you to buy those shoes? Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Something you saw or something you heard or something you felt, I can start to unpack their model of the world. I can start to understand. Yes. I want to connect something to them. We were at a, at a Halloween party and, and autumn was like, cause somebody said something about men and women. And that's like, you know, I, I do a bunch of work on masculine and feminine. And so she was ready to like nudge me. Like you're going into lecture mode. Stop it. But I was like, <laughs> I, I, I just, I just tossed one or two things and then I backed back out and I just bantered. And she was like, no, you handled yourself very well tonight. It's like, Oh no, thank you. I appreciate that. Cause I, I totally could have just gone off the deep end. Yeah, you could have. Yeah. You, you, but like you said, you're, you're still human being, you're improving every day and you're learning a lot yep. as you go. So yeah, and I, and yeah. I, and I'm not on stage. This is like, like a family party thing. You're not on stage. You're not teaching. Like, you know, is Tony, is Tony like when Tony's on stage and he's running 14 hours nonstop with no bathroom breaks, is that energy how he shows up everywhere all the time? The answer is no. 
because I mean, you, just, you would just exhaust everybody, you exhaust yourself. So it's, it's realizing, oh, you know, there, there is a time to be front stage self and then backstage self. But then backstage self shouldn't be like scuzzy. You know, there needs to be some congruency there. So yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. I've, I've seen that in my own life as well, where uh, I tend to, I, I love to teach. Um, I don't know. It's just an internal thing for me. I love to teach and to observe and to question a lot. But um, I've also seen that it's great to channel your energy into listening and just you know absorbing what they say and just being, you know, someone to talk to sometimes. So, but yeah, um, Jeremy, I think we've come to a close or close to the end. Uh, but before we wrap it up, two two questions. Um, lo- second last one. So that would be. Where can people get hold of you? Because there's so much I think that you can share with people, especially if they want to, to me, it seems like strengthen their relationship with their children. Um, that seems to be a, a definitely a, one of your strongest points um, amongst many other. So where can people get hold of you or perhaps get some resources or just get in touch? Okay, well, I wrote a best-selling book on um, parenting skills before I had kids. Before I was married, I wasn't even dating. Mm. But um, it's called Your Best Child Ever Is This Game Worth Winning? And it had a money-back guarantee on it. And now it's completely free. There's a digital download that you can get literally instantly. You just put your email in, hit the button. The very next page, it says, thank you. Here's your download. Um, and the bit.ly for that, the short version is bit.ly bit.ly slash. And then this part gets a little bit silly because me my wife was like you know bitly's just supposed to be easy and i was like well it is easy <laughs> for other people but it's capital f capital f free capital b book and that those are stuck together underscore and then it's your best child ever capital y your capital b best capital c child and capital e ever all lowercase everything else so it's it's free book underscore your best child ever it's just all first word first letter of each word is caps that's all um, and that has my book on there. And once the, cause right now we're like two weeks away from launching the, uh, the, the family communication program bootcamp thing. Once that launches on the thank you page will be a link over there to go get, I have a, a course that I'm giving for free on how to improve communication, how to get your kids attention now without yelling, threatening, bribing, bribery, or losing control. And it's a, about a 50 minute webinar that just, I walk through some really cool tools for strategy and, and to explain, here's how to get your kid's attention. Here's some challenges. And we'll actually talk about that kid brain, teen brain, cat training mode, dog training mode. We go into more details in there, and I give some examples. So, um, and again, that's also 100% free. Um, so that's the best place. Just go to bit.freebook.com, or I'm sorry, bit.ly slash freebook underscore your best child ever. That's the best place. And then also Facebook slash Jeremy Roadbrook. That's where I'm the most active on social um, I'm kind of everywhere, but that's where I'm the most active. Excellent. Yeah. So for those that are listening, I'm going to be putting those links in the show notes of this episode. So if you didn't get that, you can just go into the show notes. It's going to be there. You can just click and go get some of that content. Get Go get some insight, some wisdom. It's all there for free. I mean, grab opportunity while it's there. Um, and then Jeremy, uh, closing question. What's your advice to someone out there who has given up their belief in themselves? Kick them in the knee. No, wait. That doesn't work. Kick themselves um, in the knee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like my first answer is always a magic eight ball. So I was like, kick him in the knee. Oh, wait, no, wait. Sorry, sorry. Hold on. Yeah, wrong answer. Um, so, so the first thing is the fact that you are alive, you won the first race. So you are born a winner and you have somewhere, somehow learned to become a loser. That's a false story. So what I will tell you is easiest way to get out of the hole, look for somebody else and give them some positive energy. 
it could be a waiter, it could be a waitress, it could be someone just, hey, nice shoes. Hey, thanks for holding the door. High five, you're awesome. Just reflect the awesomeness you see in other people because when you start to put positive energy out into the world, you start to notice their reactions to you. When you give random strangers a high five because they're awesome, it lights them up and they're confused Mm. at first. They're like, what? But then they light up and like, hey, thanks. And so when you give positive, it creates a flow back into you. you. You get to experience what you give away. What you keep inside of you dies with you. So give away the good stuff. Tell people when they're awesome. There's three ways to spread the light. Number one is be on fire in your own life. And if your flame's blown out, I'm sorry that happened. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. Number two, light other people. And number three, reflect the awesomeness you see around you. When, when people are thoughtful, when people are kind, when people are helpful, tell them, hey, that was awesome. You're awesome. High five. And watch what happens in your life and the life around you. God don't make junk. The fact you're here, you're here for a purpose. So get off your butt, stop feeling sorry for yourself, and let's go figure it out. Well, thank you for that uh, quite emotional message, but also very practical and very true. Uh, I really loved all the content that you gave us, uh, all the insights. Jeremy, I just want to thank you for being open Um, just being humble and honest about what happened to you in the past, being able to share with us uh, your story. I really am humbled by it. And I, I just want to honor you for your generosity and also your, uh, just your, your ability to share with us the insights in such a practical way and, you know, an easy way to absorb for us and just thank you for being you and thank you for being on the show. I think it's definitely going to help someone out there and I truly believe it will. Um, yeah, go out and light up the world like you are currently doing right now. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That, that means a lot to me. Um, acknowledgement and being seen is just powerful. So Christopher, thank you for having me today. And I'm glad things worked out. Thanks, Jeremy. Cheers. There we go. And that's it for this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did and you literally learned something new and find or found rather something of value that you can use going forward. I just want to set out a reminder that whatever you learn in these episodes, I do really encourage you to go forward and apply these principles or tips and strategies in your own life and let us know how it goes. Let me know, get in touch after the show and let me know how you are finding these tips and these insights and wisdom. Are you using them? Are you applying them? And if you are, how they are benefiting you in your life and also benefiting those around you. And yeah, I'd love to to get in touch with you guys. So if you can send me a message, get in touch via email. You can go into Instagram, find us there, or even Facebook. We're all over. Just get in touch. Let us know how it went. You can even take a screenshot of your favorite part and then send it to us. I'd love to get to know you and just get in touch and start building that community from the inside out. Having said that, I'll see you in the next episode of Exploring Possibility. And remember, don't be afraid to go and explore and find the possibility. 